Welcome, welcome, welcome. Here's Anthony. Let's bring him up here as well. Hold on. Boom. And coast invite. There you are. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Java Script Jam Live. <laughs> yo, yo. Woo! <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. So excited for today. The fadeaway is terrible. Yeah. Oh, my. Someone's got some gas or something. Interesting. Uh, thanks for joining us, y'all. Appreciate it. Anthony, was that? I didn't know what I was going to do. I just hit buttons over here. <laughs> That's quite the sound mixer you got over there, buddy. Hey, there we go. Beep, beep. All right. Well. <laughs> All right. Enough of that. <laughs> You're like, I'm done. All right. <laughs> the first one that was the best, though. <laughs> to be honest. Okay. Oh, man. Off to a great start. Thank you all so much for joining us today. Uh, this is JavaScript Jam Live. We do this every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. If you're here, you know. If you're here, maybe you're new. You know where you're new. <laughs> all right. This is where we talk about uh, everything JavaScript, um, web dev related. And it doesn't matter whether you're a beginner at uh, developing or maybe you've been doing this for a very long time. We'd love to hear from everybody. Uh, in fact, that's where the most value comes from this is when people in the audience come up and participate, uh, ask questions, state facts, opinions. It don't matter. We'd love to hear it all. So today, uh, I'm going to go ahead and just we'll do a couple introductions here, and then introduce yourself. <laughs> we'll get into it. We should, dude. We should have like a little uh, sound effect for that or the button, like introductions. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Uh, my name is Scott, and I am the technical community manager at Edgeo and co-host of JavaScript Jam. And Anthony. I am Anthony Campolo, developer advocate at Edgeo and also co-host of JavaScript Jam. Awesome. Today we're missing Ishan. He has other things he's doing, but he's also another co-host of JavaScript Jam and the VP of product at Edgeo. So what are we doing today, Anthony? Oh, we're going to talk about what's in the newsletter. Did you read the newsletter? I'm sure you read it every week, right? Oh, yeah. Like it's the, like it's, yeah. Oh, yeah. Come on. I, mean, I write it. I don't even read everything in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, there's definitely some good good ones in this week, though. Uh, you know, uh, let's, let's talk about signals. Huh? Deal with signals. You don't need to build a step. Chat GPT. Examples for programming. WordPress. 2023 performance roadmap. Actually, that one was pretty cool. Some interesting things in there. Um, highlighting uh, some of the Posability, some of the stuff we had done in the past, podcasts come that uh, you found that was some really good stuff in there. And then. Oh, I forgot um, to tag Brad Traversy. <gasps> Almost got everyone. Oh, for the new. Um, yeah, he dropped his um, Web his Development new... 2023, a practical guide, which is yeah. three hours long. We'll have to get it in the next uh, newsletter, but everybody be sure to check that out. As y'all know, Traversy always has really good values, so uh, be on the lookout for that. Awesome. 
He has a jam stack section, actually. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know if you had that in previous ones. I don't think we have. Very cool. But um, yeah, so when I'm kind of putting together the newsletter, usually what I'm trying to do is I want to pull like interesting things happening in open source projects, interesting things around web performance, and then kind of like some wild card stuff. So right now, chat GPT and just like AI in general has just been on my mind a lot. So I included totally. one of how you can kind of use it for some programming examples. Honestly, this article is not <laughs> probably the best example of how to use chat GPT, but they gave some kind of good things like using it instead of stack overflow for like quick kind of code questions. Something I actually found it to be super useful for, and this might be because it's owned by Microsoft. It gives really good answers about TypeScript. Like, the TypeScript hmm. docs, sometimes I have trouble finding or reading, and so I want to just figure out whether uh, configuration in my TSConf was the default or not. So I was hmm. like, is this the default for this? And then also, what is this? <laughs> and they would tell me what the default is, and they give me an explanation of what it is. And I found it easier than just reading, like, the reference guide of TSConfig, you know? Hmm. That's good. Yeah, it's like searchable by it's like a i don't know a 10x search feature it's like awesome because well what's funny is a lot of different docs are now building this in so astro has built a way to do this preact has built a way to do this um there's one other open source one that did it and um there's also some pushback against so like dan jatan tweeted uh ai chat or like something about like chat is not the future of docs or something like that the the problem right now is that we don't have the ability to really fine tune these models enough to ensure it actually gives the right answer to like a hundred percent of Doc's questions. We probably get like ninety to ninety five percent correct, which is pretty good. And people make mistakes in Doc's just as like humans, so I think there's a lot of potential there for just like asking a question to a documentation website and just kind of getting a natural language answer back. Yeah, no, that's really good. And I feel like, man, I don't know. I used it, um, you know, a month ago was the last time I used ChatGPT, like, because I was on paternity leave, right? And um, when I came back, I used it again yesterday and the day before. And, Do you have access well, to Bing yet? No, I haven't messed with Bing. But I will say this. I did pay for the pro version of ChatGPT. And yeah. it is 500 million times faster. And it's well, so it much better. Crash. <laughs> yeah, it, that too. It, anytime you want. it doesn't crash. That's the beautiful <laughs> thing. Because anytime I'd ask it anything too lengthy, it would just be like, and let me like done. Right. I can't continue. Oh, and I would get in conversations where I would go back and forth like five times and then it would like rate limit me because I, yeah. I had very in-depth conversations with ChatGPT. We, we get Same. into it. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. What's but crazy I'm about Bing, it. though, is that Bing is able to actually reach out to the internet, which both means it can give you up-to-date information. It doesn't say, sorry, my memory ends in 2021. It right. can both reference current information, and it actually gives you a reference. When it says something, it has a little link saying, this is where I got this. And that's, I think, ChatGPT's mm. biggest problem right now is it just tells you stuff, and you're like, but Why? Yeah. You know, what's interesting, actually, though, so before, um, and maybe this is just part of the pro thing, or maybe it's just because it's been a month and they had a new release or whatever, I don't remember. But 
um, not for the Bing, but for ChatGPT. And it was the fact that whenever I'd ask it to like go and um, analyze a, a site for something particular, uh, whatever topic it was or whatever thing, it, it can't do that site. at all. It can't. Right? It said it can't do that. Yeah. But guess what? Uh, it can. It can now because I, I asked it last night to do something, and and it analyzed it for me. Well, here's the thing. What did what did you give it, and what did it give you back? Because sometimes it can basically read the URL and get the idea of what the website's about. Yeah. No, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that was it. I don't know. But either way, it's cool. I, I'm I'm really enjoying it and the things that are coming out of it. And it, man, it is so much faster though. It's really mind blowing because it, it, it it's just so good. All right, moving on. Um, does anyone in the crowd want to join? Yeah, yeah. Dev, inviting you to speak because you always have interesting things to say. But um. Yeah, what, yeah, actually, uh, you know, no, no, no. Let's 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 hear Dev's big news because uh, I know he has some big news that he could share with everybody. Here, it just happened, uh, right? We got a couple yeah. requests. Yep. Yeah. If if he's wanting to, willing. Pro <laughs> Nifty. Oh, hey, I also what is up, Jason? Long time no see. Yeah. I'm not as exciting as Dev here, but uh, I was just. No, I'll, we love I'll you. Fill, fill the void until he, until he gets here. No, just kidding. Um, hey, how's it going, guys? No, I just came up because you you asked for somebody to come up. Yeah, man. I don't know. Thanks for joining. I don't have much. Yep. Thanks for joining us up here. Feel free to speak up anytime. Yeah, I think I saw something about uh, Dev though. He did that. He had an inter- interview coming up with Apple, which is interesting. So I was what? If he did it or he also. Oh. This might not have been like super super recent, but I saw him make an announcement about some really cool he did with some conferences. That's cool. Yeah. How's it going? Can you guys hear me? Yeah. yeah absolutely. Perfect. Let me know if there's an echo here. Thank you for letting me up to speak. For sure. Yeah. yeah go ahead, what's Dad. what's going on in the world of dev? Uh not much. I basically just got off uh, the call with uh, the Apple person, and I think that's going fun. I don't know how much I can talk about it, but it's going fun. Yeah. Just like big picture, like can you say like vaguely what kind of role it's you be like some more engineering, more DevRel, or do you not really know? It's definitely not DevRel. It's okay. a lot more engineering, and uh, it's mostly building like internal tools, not like any Apple products. So uh, more freedom for experimentation and stuff. So retool? Kind of. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so, yeah. I don't think Apple probably uses retool, but the idea is like you're creating like back office things, like forms over data stuff. Yeah, something like that. It's more like an uh, internally made shittier version of retool and other things. <laughs> Cool. Well, enjoy never being able to talk about it in public for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, that's the biggest turn off for me for, for, from this job. Dude, it's like you're on the Manhattan Project now. Like you can, People can assume whatever they want about what you're doing. Yeah, man. Like I, I love jumping on these spaces and talking about stuff way too much to be able to work on secret projects like that. Can you talk about what you did with conferences where I think you were like sponsoring people or something like that sure yeah i mean uh do you think that's a good topic for this space 
I mean, this is something that actually I wanted Scott to hear about this. I don't know if he's seen this, but um, we're we're setting up our events that we're doing for like the next couple of months. So this is super relevant to us actually. And you're collaborating with some that we're already collaborating with also like React Miami. Sure, yeah. Uh, I can talk a little bit about it. Uh, basically, uh, for like the last two years or so, I've been I'm trying to work on ways that we uh, to basically get college students or any really any sort of student or anyone who cannot afford to be at conferences and helping them get to conferences so that they can build up their networks, they can learn about stuff and advance their careers. Because like really, uh, after being to like just two or three conferences over the last two years myself, my career has exploded beyond like what I could imagine. And I just simply want other people to have that experience who cannot afford it because I also could not afford it. And I did it through the university. And uh, so the biggest challenge there is just trying to find these, uh, these sources of like funding where we can get some funding that we can get uh, people to these conferences. So yeah, the, the main mission is just that trying to get people to conferences so that they can level up their careers. Man. Yeah, so hopefully the the wheels are spinning. Oh, totally, right dude. Oh my gosh, I'm like thinking of all these different things you could do. I'm like, <clears throat> so first of all, maybe we should create a foundation if there isn't already one. Second of all, if there is already one, we should find them and work with them because maybe they already have some things rolling. Thirdly, reach out to these colleges. Fourthly, maybe thirdly would be actually reach out to people who want to uh, companies to sponsor this thing, just like they sponsor events, sponsor this foundation. Um, so I'm sure a ton of people would be on board because why wouldn't they? They're constantly trying to have a running list of people to hire. And if they have college kids coming out of there fresh and ready to roll, it's good stuff. So I think that would be huge. Another thing, companies that would be willing to probably put money into this foundation would also be uh, headhunting recruiting companies. Um, I bet they would be all for it too. So helping these people give them the tools they need and, and networking experiences to change their lives and ultimately help the next uh, generation. I think that's awesome. And we can make some content. Oh, interview. oh, hell yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We can create stories. Cause then we, they can also then get their name out. And they're like, hey, I got interviewed yes. at this cool thing. That Oh, yeah. And it would just also help these events, right? Like, so, and I know some events do have something kind of like what you're talking about. Like, for example, I mean, Render, there's, Render there's definitely many that have scholarships yes. for a wide array of reasons. It sounds like what Dev's doing, though, is it's, it's based less her. it's like you're you're going to the students directly yes. instead of like kind of events no, saying, I love hey that. we have a scholarship come yeah yeah, yeah no i love it no Did i'm actually that right i'm actually doing both so yeah some conferences do have student so do discounts okay. but for the ones that don't i reach out to them for example i reach out i reached out to uh michelle from react miami i reached out to clark cell from uh, uh that conference uh because they they didn't have like a student ticket but they did have like, hey, if you want some sort of special discount for some special reason, reach out to us. And I reached out to them as well, I told them about this whole thing and they both of them were pretty supportive. So uh, it's not just that we are working with organizers and fun, uh, uh, companies that are willing to sponsor. Yep. It's uh, conference organizers also like want to be involved in this. Oh, I'm sure they it's would. Like they also have 
That's awesome. Do yeah. you, are you talking with Joe Eames for NG Comp? Uh, not yet. Great I'm like for now. I'm I have a very small scope right now because uh, like mm. I'm. Well, if you want to wide it. your scope, we we know some people who know some people. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, I, I just have like I just don't have time right now. But like at some point, I definitely want to scale this out a lot more because like uh, right now it's all scoped to the uh, to University of Cincinnati, and uh, we are kind of limited by the funding that we get from the university as student orgs. Uh, but yeah, beyond that, like uh, I'm sure there's uh, fundraising opportunities outside to scale this out. I just need to find a lot more time to invest into it or more people to work with. Yeah, I mean, this could almost be an open collective thing, too, maybe. I don't know, even though it's not open source. But <laughs> it's like, I don't know. Maybe there's another way to go about, go about it. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing just creating a legal entity that people can hand yeah, checks totally. to that doesn't look sketchy on their taxes. Uh, There's many ways to accomplish yeah. that these days. 501 c 3 or whatever. Yeah. Right, kids just give them. Yeah, so far we have been leveraging the university for that because, like, uh, like we being a part of the university we get tax benefits and we can have like a bank account but as soon as obviously like if we make this into a foundation it's a whole different beast yep makes sense fascinating thanks for sharing that that's a uh, super cool stuff and it's very in line with what we believe in here which is like enabling people to break in and get their their first start like i remember my first conference was remix conf last year that was our first in-person in-person conference that i got into the industry during the COVID times and that was the first time i know me and ishan and scott all got together it was the first time at michael chan uh austin Krim, chris burns my podcast co-host so it was so great it was like this whole crew of people that like we had known each other for years and finally got to meet up yeah i've yet to have that feeling because when i was first like going to conferences i didn't know anyone like i knew of people but like i didn't have friends so i think this year when i start going to conferences i'm going to have those uh feelings yeah, yeah so for you it would be like if t3 had a conf that, that was like our remix conf yeah actually jamstack con was pretty close because a lot of people i met there oh, i knew I was, them previously. I, I couldn't go because of my work and i was very mad <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, Jamstack Conf was great, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm 100% following up with the two of you offline after this about this. Excited. Yeah, man. Good. Also, what are your thoughts on signals? Great, terrible, meh. I fucking love signals. <laughs> I love <Awesome>. the <laughs> Um, How, what is a signal? A uh, great question. So, a signal is kind of a container for some piece of state or some piece of data. Um, it's so a special a container. <laughs> it's uh, not a Docker image, but maybe you can think of it in that sense that it's container. It holds a value inside it, and uh, sometimes you can just uh, pull the value out of it and see what's uh, what's there and run some computation. But most of the times, what will happen is that if you use that value or th that piece of state in your data um, or in your like UI, in your JSX, um, whatever framework, like if, if it's solid or quick or pre whatever framework is wrapping around it, 
um, it basically uh, that single piece of uh, a DOM node, whatever DOM node you're putting that value in, it in some senses subscribes to that one single value. So if that's if the value of that signal changes, that uh, the DOM node that the value is going into automatically updates and nothing else updates. So that's I think the key feature of Signal and why they uh, how it distinguishes from other um, rendering or reactivity solutions. Yeah, the thing I find I don't know how much sense that made. That that made perfect sense because we talk about how you want to avoid global state, but if you think about a UI by definition as a global state, you're a single user using a thing, making changes, and a signal, the way I think of it is like a way to track that one thing that you need to track throughout the whole the whole process. So I've seen now most frameworks now start to build in signals. Do you think React is gonna eventually be the only framework without true signals? Um I'm not I don't know fully sure about that. Like I think React has some uh, has a very different vision of what they want the web to look like and uh, they've done it like multiple times before where they come out with uh, like whatever their vision is and once like more people understand it everyone starts adopting it. And I feel like that might be happening again where like React is trying to prove something to us that we are just not getting and maybe at some point will and un- maybe at some point we'll see react and it'll be like okay this is actually much better than whatever else we are doing which in I've this case is to, i've been trying to tell people for two and a half years now almost that react server components are the future and people today are still arguing about whether that's the case or not so i think it's still gonna be a while before that whole mess gets figured out and then maybe they'll tackle reactivity who knows yeah i think everyone is like trying to solve say, this solve same problems or similar problems in different ways and uh, if anything it feels like everyone's converging on similar solutions or solutions that look similar but are different under the hood we're all very converging on the thing that will make alex russell stop yelling at us <laughs> yeah the pretty much yeah, I went ahead and linked that newsletter at the top here. So if y'all are interested, you click on check it out and follow along with what we're kind of going to be talking about. And, you know, we always go off topic too, but yeah. By the way, I also want to give out Henri a shout out. One of the articles we featured in the newsletter about WordPress's performance roadmap was something I saw him tweet out. So. Yeah. Uh, you're welcome to join and chat about that if you are interested. We're actually hoping to reach out to some people on the team and see if we can get them on to talk about it. I had no idea. They have an entire team with a whole like manifesto around making performance like a first-class thing for WordPress. It was very, very cool. Yeah, it was super interesting, um, you know, what, you know the, how they're focusing on the, all that, like you said. Um, and some things I thought they had already kind of like, I know Ishan was talking about this too, how, how he thought they had already kind of maybe done away with some of those things with or focused on those things, like with images and lazy load LCP, avoiding that. And so it looks like they have a group that like sets like high level 
things that they consider like priorities. So what you're listing is like some of those kind of subcategories of things the larger performance group kind of focuses on is what it seemed like. Right. Yeah. And like adding fetching uh, equals high to the LCP image in WordPress core, you know, things like that. Each time I, was like, oh, I thought they did that already. So. <laughs> I mean, it makes a lot of sense when you think about it because because it's such a huge chunk of the internet. This is something that Dan Shapiro would talk about working on performance for Wix is you find that one tiny optimization that then cascades across 40% of the internet so it's actually like some of the most high leverage work you could possibly yeah. do oh it's like it's like uh you know it reminds me i can't remember what it's called but it's like the 80 20 rule right it's like you know 20 percent of the work that does it that has 80, Pareto. yeah Pareto's law right it has 80 percent of the yeah 20 percent of the work 80 percent of the out output or something like that, whatever yeah yeah that's cool yes you get to 80 percent of the output and then the last 20 percent takes as long as the first 80 percent yeah, there's that too. I don't know. There's so many ways people look at that 80-20 rule. <laughs> but yeah. Well, there's a pro distribution, which is like a kind of statistical observation of the universe. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, hey, Dev, what do you know about WordPress? Or Jason or Bronifty? Not much, but this roadmap looks interesting. I have a hot take about this. It feels like they're doing everything that Next.js and Vercel have already done, but on but for WordPress. How do you know Next.js wasn't copying their roadmap? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, but I think Next.js has been on this for multiple years now, and I don't know when this this uh, this is twenty twenty three roadmap. So yeah, I, I think Next.js has like. Next.js Next has a lot of these things, especially on Vercel. Um, but again, it's Next.js, it's not WordPress. It, it, won't, it doesn't have the same impact, right? Are we talking about the roadmap for um, uh, React or, Next, or uh, Vercel? Or the WordPress roadmap, it's oh. on the newsletter. Oh, WordPress. Okay, sorry, I didn't. I didn't look at that. I, I was. Uh, I was looking at the Dino one. I thought Dino, the, you don't need a build step. But I thought that was pretty neat. Yep, yep. For those of you just joining, if you want to check out the newsletter, it's at the top. Just link there, and you can go check it out. That's what we're kind of going through right now. Henri, what's up, dude? Welcome. Uh, hey, I'm good. I, I don't know. If, can you hear me? Yeah, I think so. Okay, perfect. Sorry, I, I I'm. Uh... I'm away. I'm in the basement, so I don't know what's going on. Um, I, I just want to comment very quickly on the WordPress thing, and I wasn't going to jump in because I'm pretty swamped right now. But um, there are a couple of things I do want to mention. First of all, um, the, the 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 funny thing about mentioning Vercel and whether Vercel is copying uh, uh, WordPress or vice versa. Um, the the one thing I, I think, if you go back in in a little bit, uh, some document. I mean, some videos. Um, I mean. Vercel has been tuned into Per for a little while. Um, if you go back to, I think, 2018, um, Guillermo, I, I kind of realized it after, Guillermo had been invited to speak at Chrome Dev Summit. So for those who had never been to Chrome Dev Summit, uh, even though it's called Chrome Dev Summit and it's, you know, it's a conference about, uh, one of the best conferences actually, but about you know, everything that they're doing, it did feel like a performance conference, which is why I loved it so much. And it's not back yet. But going back, I'd seen that 
Guillermo had been on stage talking about some of the stuff that they were working on. Uh, and again, this might have been even 2016 or 2017. Anyways, uh, that being said, I, I think they had had very, very, very early exposure to what Google was doing. Um, so, I mean, everything they're doing now, I think, is, is really kind of like a culmination of a lot of that and whatever came after. Now, with regards to WordPress, um, the one thing I think people have to kind of understand and one of the things I really did early in my sort of, you know, performance maturation is kind of like poke around. And I was always curious, kind of curious as to what WordPress was doing and how they were tackling performance and stuff like that. And, you know, I'll be happy to maybe link some videos uh, for, for folks to watch. Uh, but um, like Felix, uh, probably the lead on, on the team over there, um, has always sort of talked about this. Um, WordPress is open source. And that, with that being said, you know, whenever they make any kind of changes or suggestions to changes, uh, they kind of table it and they, you know, everyone's got a voice, you know. And that being said, you'll see things move a little bit slower at WordPress because they do, you know, everyone does have an opportunity to kind of like, you know, mention their concerns, you know, table it with, you know, some data and or, uh, you know, talk about you know their use case and you know the community and especially the core of the team listens you know and I've, I've been lucky enough uh, to witness some of these conversations and you know sometimes you'll have you know features that you feel like okay they'll be able to turn around and get this done you know liquidly split it's like seven eight months later it's still not done because the conversations are still going whereas someone like I don't know, Shopify will be like, okay, this is what we're deciding. And the week after, boom, it lands, right? So uh, I think it's very uh, important to keep that in mind. And if you go back and, and watch, like I've had them on my streams a few times because I'm very interested as to how they're moving, how quickly, uh, and and what they're able to do. So like I said, I'll be more than happy to introduce you to Felix and, and uh, you know the rest of the team, Thierry, uh, and Andrew, Andrew, uh, anyways, I forget, uh, but the very, very, very interesting conversation as to what they're doing over there. Uh, thanks for the link, Henry. I did check it out. It looks cool. I uh, read an article a little earlier, um, this morning by somebody who's breaking up the PHP functions of WordPress into serverless, serverless functions and like packaging it like that so they can do more traffic and whatnot it was kind of like an experiment they like they were talking about how they were still using ftp and stuff like that instead of git and like whatever but it was like some some conference or some 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 showcase he, he was like hey look we can use php and, and serverless functions and so on and so forth and people were i just thought it was interesting that people were trying stuff like that out but uh yeah i think you can run php and wasm too so it could you know potentially yeah you could probably do anything yeah, and, and, you know, I'll, I'll say again, having sort of been in some of these uh, public chats, by the way, they're open to anyone to attend. Uh, they have a Slack and you could just sort of like sit back and, and you know, watch like fly on the wall. Um, they have, you know, a lot of the, you know, WordPress users have, have you know, seemingly grown comfortable in, in some of their, you know, op workflows, you know, and they've not been... Uh, as quick to adopt 
and move like you know the JavaScript ecosystem that we know well, right? And so that has sort of you know added to you know what seems like a, a, a like a really slow kind of moving operation, but there's so much to cover. There's testing, and and you know they're doing their best, you know, and this is why I'm I'm supporting them as much as I can. Uh, with with you know letting people know what they're doing, you know how people can contribute uh, and, and things like that. That's awesome. Thanks. Thanks for sharing, Henri. Appreciate it. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean the Chrome Dev Conference. That'd be cool to like uh, if they would bring that back. You know, <laughs> I mean, like you said, it's, it's very much probably a performance-driven kind of conference because. I mean, it does make sense with like Chrome and V8 and all that, you know, that they do trying to, but uh, welcome Theo. Looks like Theo joined us here. Excited to have you, man. Hey, yo. So um, we're just kind of going through some of the stuff in the newsletter here. And the last thing we just spoke of, which Henri came up to uh, say a couple few words about was the WordPress uh, 2023 performance roadmap. Um, which has been really interesting. So, yeah. Anthony, what else do you think we have on this? Um, I'd be curious to get some other people's um takes on signals if anyone has them up here. Either Bro Nifty or Jason, maybe, or Henri. I'm curious what Theo has to say. <laughs> He's a listener right now, or um, was there anything else in the newsletter that jumped out at you, Scott? Um, I mean, I the you know writing writing JavaScript say, code without you know using a build system. I don't know, it's kind of interesting. I guess this is that uh, Ju Julia Evans article. I think it was right. Oh, looks like Dev's got his oh, hand up. Awesome. Let's hear from him. Oh, I mean, I was gonna ask about something else, but you brought up the uh right JavaScript without build step. We'd love to hear more about that. I'll be curious what you're gonna say as well, then we can hit that one. Sorry, who were you asking? Sorry, that was that was you, Dev. What, what were you? What did you raise your hand okay. for? Just so I can table it at least. Uh, I was thinking of the second topic of uh, Chat GPT. I don't know if you guys talked about it already. Might have missed it. Yeah, I mean, I can talk about Chat GPT yeah. all day. <laughs> but yeah, the the thing with the the build step is last week we highlighted an article from Julia Evans, who's a really great blogger, basically talking about like how can you use JavaScript in this day and age without necessarily a build steps you set yourself up for esm you can kind of just put it all in some files and, and it'll work and then dino kind of did their own version of it because for them it's a slightly different thing because they're the you know a, a backend that doesn't allegedly have a build step but i feel like if they're going to support npm they're going to end up with a build step probably yeah i mean so you know, said like her the main strategies so far are basically these kind of like um, th these tips at least. So like search for a CDN, 
uh, quote unquote, on a library's website to find a standalone JavaScript file, use uh, un unpackage umpakg.com to see if the library has a, bu a built version I they can use. Host my own version of libraries instead of relying on a CDN that might go down, and then write my own simple integrations instead of pulling in another dependency. Uh, for example, she wrote code, own code, uh, code mirror component for view the other day. And then uh, one, two, three, four. The fifth thing would be if I want to, if I want to build system, use, like you said, ES build. Um, and then a couple other things that look interesting that she hasn't looked into yet is uh, the, the TypeScript proposal for type syntax and JavaScript comments, and then ES modules generally. But yeah, good. Lots of talking points there. <laughs> but hey, uh, if you're in the audience, I just want to really quick here, just take a second. Uh, we're about halfway mark here, a little bit past it actually. But I just want to say thank you all so much for joining us today. This is JavaScript GM Live. We do this every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And this is where we talk about everything and anything web development, JavaScript related. Uh, yeah. And it, by the way, whether you're a beginner or whether you're advanced uh, at developing, uh, it doesn't matter. We love to hear from everybody. So feel free to uh, raise your hand, come up on stage, uh, and or request to come up. We'd be more than happy to have you up here. Uh, so you can ask a question or statement or uh, fact, opinion, whatever it might be. We'd love to hear from you. So Jason, what's up, man? We're raising your hand there. Yeah, the, the topic of chat GPT, I was wondering if anyone has been playing around with the actual API mm. to build out, you know, since they announced the new chat GPT based um, model that costs a whole heck of a lot less and is supposedly super fast. Um, the thing I was running into just playing with some responses that take longer is, you know, the, the intersection between edge functions and serverless environments and how long chat GPT can take to respond. Is, is starting to be concerning. But can you run a serverless function that might take 20, 30 seconds to execute? And you might be bumping up into like the, let's say the free tier limit of Vercel um, or, you know, having having serverless functions that cost a lot of money to run because they're sitting around waiting for responses from ChatGPT. Since it does internally stream the response back uh, as it's writing out its answers. Uh, so just some of the stuff I was kind of poking around with uh, actually over the weekend. Um, it, was, it was kind of, I wonder if anyone else has gotten further on that than I. Um, yeah. I really want to do, learn how to use the Whisper API because I want to try transcribing FSGM episodes. I've heard it might actually be capable of transcribing a technical podcast, which would, like, I would pay so much money for that. Yeah. I would not be surprised. What were your chat GPT thoughts, Deb? I don't have too many thoughts on chat GPT. I haven't, I'm not using it as much as I should be, honestly. I'm sure you got some thoughts. You've been seeing a bunch of my tweets about it. Yeah, I've seen some tweets, but like I don't, uh, for some reason, I don't actively like think about it too much. I, would I don't say know why. The, I think the best way to approach chat GPT is first to not think about it at all as like a thing that you can use to do work. You should just start by asking it actual questions you have about life in the universe. Like the first thing I asked it was, how do you find a partner? So I was curious what it was going to say. And it gave like generic, but you know, fairly good advice. 
then I asked it about like whether it thinks democracy and communism can coexist in a society, you know. And then I asked it what React meta framework I should use. And then, you know, eventually I started getting a sense of what kind of answers it gives, what kind of knowledge it actually has. And then you find ways to hack it and get to tell ridiculous stories and take new characters. And you then discover there's this whole other layer to what's happening in the model. And there's like these archetypical like personalities that exist within it that you can summon through prompts. It's it's the most incredible technology in like decades. And it's I really recommend people check out Ethan Mollick. He tweets every single day about incredible stuff he's doing with chat GBT and Bing and all this stuff. I'll share his yep. thing. One one really interesting thing I found was an Alexa skill that uses chat GPT. So I can like have proper like conversations with chat GPT instead of typing typing them in. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It doesn't seem to support all the features. Like it's I I don't know if it's like recording conversation history, it's probably like sending each question one by one instead of like having a conversation context to draw from, which uh, like the chat GPT UI does. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty exciting to be able to uh, talk to chat GPT instead of just chatting. Well, that's the, that's the feature of the new API. If you want to build it yourself is it does have an essentially an array of prompts and responses that you can keep the history and as long as you stay under the what 4k token cap you can keep that much memory um it, it has that much memory four thousand tokens worth with, with that you share between the answer and the response so you can you can start to approximate what you get with the user interface cool really hoping someone builds that <laughs> The the only the, the what I was getting about with my question or with kind of my my prompt so to speak um, was the uh, the the current default out of the box like if you just install the OpenAI client off of npm I think it, it's just a wrapper on top of Axios for the HTTP requests and it's really kind of a buffer and wait until it gets the whole response so you don't out of the the out of the box experience as a developer is you have to wait for the whole thing to come back before you get anything whereas using the user interface you get it streamed to you so the you have to kind of jump through some hoops and i think there's some developers that are starting to put out some code on how to do this you know using http streaming essentially to to take the responses as the blocks as they come off the fetch request and then slurping them over to your um, to the output socket, uh, to the response socket. But anyway, it's starting to get, you know, maybe someone will write a decent client for it that can just do that out of the box um, before too long. I mean, OpenAI has a DevRel guy. That's something you should yeah. be working on. Yeah, maybe. They should have that's 10 a... DevRel people. <laughs> Because it looks like it's fast, right? Because if you, let's say you wanted it to generate a couple of paragraphs worth of response, like the meaning of life questions and answers and stuff, it looks fast on the chat because it's giving you like updates every few, you know, phrases, right? Or every like once a sentence or so. Whereas if you made the same request of the API, it would just sit there and wait, and wait, and wait, and wait until it had the whole paragraph which takes you know, 10, 15 seconds to generate. So anyway, that's just kind of like the user experience what you get out of the box as an API developer versus what you get from the client if you just sign up for ChatGPT. 
So I shared up top as well. Um, Logan.gpt. I don't know if you guys have heard of this guy, but I, I, he was in my my. Yeah, that's what I was talking yeah, about. Yeah, is that the, the one? Oh, okay, got it. Well, anyway, yeah, I followed him uh, just like not even a couple of weeks ago. I was like, oh wow, it's a good thread. So, <laughs> yeah, any any new releases and stuff. It's uh, he he's actually a Delvrel for OpenAI, right? So, probably a great source. <laughs> Check him out. He was the first guest on Swix's new AI podcast. Well, maybe we should get him on here. Hmm? That'd be nice. That'd be fun. We talk about ChatGPT so much. I mean, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, anything else other people want to talk about? Things they found interesting happening in the world of web dev or JavaScript? Doesn't have to be from the newsletter. It could be anything. I mean, everyone's talking about React server components. <laughs> Yes, they are. I'm glad. <laughs> it's about time. <laughs> I think that people are still trying to get it because when it was first announced, they're just like, uh, this is another thing that's going to take three years, so I don't need to worry about it right now. And now it's three years later and everyone has to worry about it now. Yeah, RSC is exciting. Another thing, this sleeper... Uh... Bun the the bun execution environment. Theo, one of Theo's friends, um, has some kind of uh, framework. I found it from through Theo. I found this uh, person who has so created easier. Yeah, is amazing. I, I ran it. We got Danjatan. What's up, man? And also Ellery. Welcome to the stage. Thanks. Yeah, I just wanted to hear more about RSC and if anyone's actually using it or if it's just promising vaporware. <laughs> um, Next is using it. I'm not sure that counts. <laughs> <laughs> so the number one React framework doesn't count? Well, I mean, using it in practice, not the fact that they have it. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I get, I get what you mean. Yeah, uh, Theo is about to come up and talk about React Server components, though. He can school you. Nice, my mission was accomplished. You're not the one who baited me. It was Ellery. <laughs> I don't even know what you said, that. but yeah, I, uh, I was very unsure of server components. <laughs> one sec. Sorry. Yeah, I was very unsure of server components initially. It just seemed like a, a a weird way of solving problems I had already solved. Similar to, funny enough, how I felt about JSX when I first saw it. It's like, we already have templates. Why are we going to make our JS worse? That just makes no sense. But then you play with them enough, and it clicks, and you realize that there's this whole abstraction that we've spent not necessarily a lot of our time day-to-day -day thinking about, but a lot of our brain cycles in every problem we solve are thinking about this relationship between the client and the server and what goes where, when, and why. The magic of server components is the default is now the server. The only time you think about it is when, for some reason, you need something that only runs on the client. And that mental model shift is massive. And the the idea that like the data flow I'm thinking of through my application is now the data flow from and including the server, not just the like top of the like virtual DOM node down. It really changes what you can, or how, not, I should say what you could do, because you could do all this with Remix. It just 
required you to have two mental models or three mental models, one of server client, one of react and one of remix. This is the first time you just have one mental model to do all the same things. This is why also, I actually... go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I just wanted to also quickly bring up that Dan casually dropped in that live stream earlier that reacts, uh, the react is also trying to find a way to include mutations the mutation story like built into React server components, which I think is pretty exciting and speaks pretty well to uh, the idea that Theo presented that it's just a React's mental model, model now instead of three or four different models. So for me in December, 2020, when this was first announced, I was hyped on it and I instantly got it because to me, that was already the pitch for Redwood is that Redwood you have the server and the CLI mostly generates most of the server code for you. And then you have your React client and that separation was inherent. So I saw that as like the, you know, verification of that kind of idea. And then people just didn't seem to fully get it. And I thought it was interesting because people didn't seem to get Redwood either. So I'm glad that this is finally being pushed into the conversation because I think it's an important mental model to make like in your head because you just, you can't get away from it. Like the server's there, it's a fact of nature, you know? I don't necessarily like this comparison because like there are other backend for front-end solutions like TRPC, like Remix, like Solid Start, all these new solutions that, that really like bring the backend closer to the front-end. The thing that makes server components so different is there isn't a, a there isn't a front-end anymore in the traditional sense. It's, it's not bringing backend into our front end, it's not thinking about backend or front end. Instead, there are components that get things and there are components that do things. And you don't have yeah. to think about it too much further than that. It, so many times when I explain wrote, you're like, nah, it's not this like this. And you describe exactly the way I think about it. Like being able to add actions is the Redwood is able to do all this stuff. The problem is it does it all through GraphQL. So it's it's able to achieve this because of GraphQL itself. And this is why all these other frameworks had to figure out a different way to do it because no one wanted to use GraphQL to do it. Yeah, this is more like this is much closer to the traditional style where you have a PHP app and you add a little bit of jQuery for interactivity. The only difference is that instead of PHP and jQuery, it's both React. And another big part here is like, again, like I don't want to just harp on Redwood, but solutions like Redwood solve these problems by adding dimensions to them. It added GraphQL as a method to reduce the complexity of the client server relationship, but it was a trade. They were trading the complexity of GraphQL for the complexity of the client server relationship and then putting a lot of effort into reducing the complexity of the GraphQL because they felt they had an angle there to meaningfully reduce it. The React server components was not a good model until they went the async route, when you could actually await server code in your component. I even have a stream way back, and I should find the clip, because I, I remember doing a stream after the original React server components announcement, showed what it should be able to do, and complained that it couldn't, and then went back to TRPC land. Now, they've literally done exactly what I asked for. I didn't think I wanted it anymore. And then I started using it, and I started playing with it a lot. And then I started realizing how many patterns and behaviors I would do weird shit to make work. 
that I don't have to think about anymore. So when something you're as simple as like a yes. top nav with your like profile picture in it, it's so much easier to block on fetching that data rather than have like the pop in of like a scaffolded top nav as you wait to know if you have the info or not. Yeah. Dan, what's up, man? Hey, RSCs are, are like Astro Islands at home that you can only use with React. No, but they can also be, like, I don't think anyone mentioned this, but you can use them, or at least the pitches, you can use them down the tree. So in Astro, your client components can't use server components, but supposedly in React server components, your client com components can go and import uh, a server component. Yeah, it's it's again, like, a lot of these other solutions add a lot of the parts, both like like very little of what React 18 and server components does is truly new in the sense that it's not enabling behaviors or patterns that we couldn't do before, but it's primitives letting us do whatever. I think that's the biggest problem we're seeing is if you already know Remix or you already know Astro or you already know SvelteKit, you can find some way to shape server components such that it's familiar to you. And then you're going to say, oh, this is just the thing I already like, but worse. No, it's the thing you already like, but primitive and magical, because now you can assemble it in whatever fucking shape you want. It's so cool how this, this simple change of you can await server shit in your component before you return JSX. The catch is that component can't be interactive. It can still mount interactive components. It can still do whatever else. That compromise is so powerful on a primitive level and i've been really impressed with the, the chaotic bullshit i can do with it there's a lot of like conceptual issues when it came to introducing rscs especially in next because react already renders on the server using ssr but this is not ssr right this is a, a, a different idea that has enough conceptual overlap that it's going to confuse people like your next app both renders client components on the server and renders server components on the server. And they also could have introduced RSC with a really great full stack demo that didn't use SSR. They could, they could have done that, right? Like they, they could have showed you how RSCs work outside of the context of a, a framework like Next, but they didn't. And instead all they did was have really like long windy Twitter threads, no, no blog posts after the first one, no YouTube videos until today. Just like very windy um, Twitter arguments that don't really introduce the feature in its own context. I don't know how much these features would be understandable without that context. And you also have to consider how much pushback React has gotten forever from like the Alex Russells of the world saying, man, React has no excuse for not showing us how they're supposed to actually use it. Like, where's the actual code? Where are the actual examples? How do I actually use this thing? And that hesitation is a huge part of why they they worked to do this and on top of that like next is a really good example of how these things work and it has made it so much more compelling i don't necessarily know if it's it's the role of the react team to intentionally hamper the the quality of the or the demonstration quality of the dem demos that they do and the like rfds that they put out so that we can have more of these aimless conversations talking about how it compares to other things. So because, actually, I want to I want to take this back to what Ellery said because he asked who's using this, and so far no one has said anyone who's using it. I am.
All right. So are you using it for actual like ping or just for stuff you're building for fun? I am using it heavily for stuff I'm doing for content and have every intention of porting multiple things over for stuff that we're working at in ping as soon as I can. The issue is a lot of the stuff that we're doing at ping right now is focused on local development. And it's, I could make my own RSC model inside of the like v fastify hack I'm doing, but eh, not yet down to wait for that. I also want the mutations RFC to come out and to have more ability to experiment there. That said, something I have been doing a lot is I've been working on a very thorough T3 stack tutorial that I've literally probably put like 200 hours into at this point. Like I've went way too ham on this, making sure I, I cover everything you I really need to. You never make tutorials. This is your like I first know. big tutorial? Yep, first and probably only ever big tutorial, but I just, it I wanted to do it. It takes a lot of work, it. doesn't it? <laughs> yep. And one of the things I decided to do was in parallel, write the same app I'm doing with the current traditional T3 stack using server components, Next, and Edge specifically. And the Edge part's been annoying because nothing supports the fucking Edge yet. But when I worked around all of the bullshit there, I ended up with a much better developer experience. And the thing that fucks with me, the thing that, that made me change my tune is whenever I go back to working in the like page directory, OG server-side Next version, the amount I miss the features of server components and the amount I miss the, oh, I can just wrap this and fetch the data. I don't have to think about that. There are so many problems that the solution is just make a component the same way it was in React. And that was the aha for me. It was, oh, the way I would use components to abstract things and solve problems in React, I can do that for my APIs and for my data layer now too. So are you but it's the same TRPC, abstraction I use every day. Are you using TRPC in your example or the things you're doing with React server components? I have played with it in a lot of places. I've done some cool things with it. Specifically, you can create a server-side caller in TRPC, and then you can call the same TRPC functions on server and client with like the same exact syntax without any issue. It was very fun, especially for the mutation side of things. The reason I'm not doing that is it, was an unnecessary abstraction. And like the goal of that project was to highlight how much simpler React server components can right, make things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I've just put two layers in front of calling a function. Yeah, I sense. might still use it for mutations. And I'm working with Alex to figure out what like a, a TRPC or TRPC-like thing that truly takes advantage of the new like Next and React primitives looks like. But that that's a future we're not at yet. None of this is like, we should be moving all of our production apps to React server components at this moment. but this like in 2015, would it have been responsible to immediately start porting your Angular app? Well, I guess to React? that would be my question. That for Ellery is, when do you think will be the time? Like a vague prediction of when you think we'll get closer to this being production ready. Probably yeah, after it's kind of out of beta. Yeah, obviously, out of beta would be great. Like my my primary concern is, you know, a big part of what I do day to day is build headless websites for e-commerce companies. Like they want really fast websites um, because there's just a direct correlation between performance and revenue, right? If we can take the exact same brand experience and take it off of a monolithic platform and rebuild it, then there's huge performance benefits for them that just translate to dollars. And, you know, the, the scale and leverage are all there. But one of the things that we struggle with a lot is, um, you know, A, hydration is the worst. Um, having to, you know, wait for chunks to load uh, before certain parts of the app become interactive is really painful. If there were ways to circumvent that without having to replatform off of Next.js, then we would love to go do it. But at the same time, I'm also evaluating products like Quick and Astro and SvelteKit 
just to see like, are any of these really ready? Like if, when I have to do the next one of these sites for a client, what should I pick? And, you know, I, I'm hoping that Next.js and React catches up, but so far a lot of the developer experience and other features like island architecture and so on, you know, right now I'm kind of leaning away from the React ecosystem, if you put a gun to my head. Well, I, I will tell you specifically that the thing React won in here without any question is developer experience. I play with all of these frameworks. It's kind of my job with the success of my content platform. I dove deep into all of them with the creators of most of them. And I've gotten far enough to get most to like click in my head. I've never, I've never had such a strong fuck. I really miss X when I use other things as with server components when it clicked. It's, it's like when you got to use TypeScript in React on a side project, then you have to go back to work working in Ember. It feels like that for APIs. And you can take with that, that as you will. I think the future looks very performant and very good. But right now, the thing that's mind-melting me is how much I miss server components whenever I can't use them. Well, this is the thing. People love React so much, they'll use it despite being publicly shamed for it. Jason, you've had your hand up for a while. Yeah, um, I was going to comment on the React server components thing, but I, I, the topic of um, back to WordPress and you know, kind of coming full circle is that if WordPress is any indication, the solution that's technically best isn't necessarily the one that wins. And so WordPress has been you know, this albatross around all of our decks. It's the whole reason why Jamstack, for the most part, exists. Uh, it was an, it was the an answer to the, yeah the, uh, I, I pull the, the definition of Jamstack right, is the opposite right. of WordPress. So, so we still ship you, Prisma, like we don't right. go for the optimal performance. Yeah, you you could probably say I it's it's seeming more likely that you could start to say the same thing about React is that it it is a not great solution for building websites, but everybody uses it for it. Here's the fun oh, thing that's changing, though, is that gets so much better with server components, like that, compared to a specialized solution like Astro or Remix that's specifically focused on adopt our pattern, our way of routing, our way of loading, our way of doing everything, and absolutely. you can get something that's more optimal in the end. React is giving you primitives that just by switching to them, the result is a more performant app. It's not the most performant, but from these primitives, you can make the most performant thing. It's just a matter of the the actual building blocks we play with are getting better. My yeah, yeah. my my, my follow-on to that was going to be that that the React core team and whether they'll be able to continue to repeat history has done a very good job of bringing the community along with their evolution of the framework. Unlike pretty much every other framework in in the past, where some massive architectural change needed to happen and they lost 90% of the audience. So, we'll see if they can continue to, you know, do that trick. Um, you know, the, the you know, the, the the end has not been written on server components obviously. Uh, but I, I if anyone can pull it off, you know, React has, the React team has the track record of being able to do it. Um, because of incremental adoption and all those other things. The one thing I will the one kind of nitpick I have and again, I haven't delved into server components as deeply as I should. So, but the the use client directive to and the use server it, that just feels like too blunt of an instrument especially from a developer experience standpoint and again i haven't done much work with it myself so but just looking at the documentation it's like ooh now i've got this thing over here that can only run on the client and maybe run on the server and then oh it's it, it just feels like there's too much 
going on there to, to be really easy to maintain in a large application, but I'll, um, I'll withhold judgment. Maybe Theo, you have some more thoughts on it. I don't like how it's named and I'm not all in on the separation just yet. I don't like when my file system's prescribed to me by somebody else. I get why they're doing it more than anything, just because it makes the code splitting much clearer and easier. If you don't import it in a component mark used client, it won't be shipped to the user. And I think that is a, a very valuable distinction versus other frameworks that don't have quite as clean a split. The only other thing that comes close is Astro. But even that's like, you have to understand bundling and independent frameworks well enough to get what it's doing there. The thing that's like, like if it was named to use interactive, I think that would make much more sense. And mentally, that's how I'm thinking of it. It's, is this a thing the user does something with? If yes, use client. If no, don't. I don't like having to separate the input component into a separate folder from the data component. But when I go back and look at the code I wrote at Twitch, we had container and component files for every single thing that we rendered. The container would do some GraphQL data fetch and wrap the component. The component would actually render. It feels like kind of like that, but we get to choose where the boundaries are as long as the boundary of interactive exists somewhere. Yeah, and it's almost like given that we are forced to have a compile step, I know we touched on that at the beginning of the stream, but given that we have a compile step, it seems like there could be something where we have a file that has a component that part of it is server and part of it is interactive. I like that term. And the compiler figures it out. And you have just some convention for how to do that. And that, and again, I, I, it's not a solution. That's kind of just a wishful thinking thing, but it just, we have a compiler. Maybe we should figure out how to use it. I don't know. Anyway. Okay. De Devs has hand for a while. The one thing I want to say though is I think having more prescribed file structures would be great for JavaScript. So the biggest mistakes they make because having a prescribed file structure only prevents bugs and people who don't like it insist on doing everything in their own way. I think having file structures is great, but Dev, go ahead. Yeah, it's 4 p.m. already. I don't, won't take too much time, but um, already brought up a great point. And uh, I think uh, a lot of the conversation around RSCs has been like uh, purely from the perspective of content heavy sites, because a lot of the meta frameworks um, have been pushing uh, like for that market share for like making it much easier and much faster to develop like content heavy sites. But uh, it's really important to understand that React is not only serving the content heavy uh, like applications, it has to serve the entire spectrum of uh, from content to like interaction heavy applications. And I think Dominic Ganaway also uh, brought up uh, this point. I'll, I'll, I'll have to find the tweet and link it here. So um, yeah, I, I think this is why their solution to these same problems looks very different from existing solutions like whatever Remix and SwellKit has, um, because they are trying to serve more than one use case, which is uh, why their, their solution is inherently a little different and more lower level and uh, requires like the entire perspective to be able to understand. Like I think RSCs work great when you have uh, like separate pieces of interaction that have their own data flows uh, that are kind of independent to each other. And you can get you can make a lot of that in Astro thanks to islands, which is why like the Astro is the best comparison. And I, I think a lot of the co uh, conversation of how it's going to achieve the same things that Remix does, which we heard a lot of uh, in the stream earlier today. Uh, that's why a lot of that conversation tends to get confusing. 
because it's inherently a very different concept because it's supposed to serve a much larger audience than like someone who's just trying to get the first bite out or the first paint as soon as possible. That's all I have. Totally agree. That's very good. Uh, thank you so much for sharing. Hey, by the way, uh, real quick, guys, um, I just wanted to thank everybody for joining us today. Um, we are still going here strong, uh, but um, just want to let you know we do this every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, whether you're, you're new with this or you've been uh, doing development for a very long time. It doesn't matter. We love to hear from everybody. So feel free to request to come up and we'll be more than happy to bring you up and, and uh, you can uh, ask questions, state facts, opinion, whatever. We love to hear from you. This is a great crew. Thank you, yeah. everyone who showed yeah, up. Thank you so much. By the way, yeah, with everybody who showed up here, if you've gotten value from anybody that's up here right now or how it was earlier, please feel free to click on them and follow them because I guarantee you, you're going to get value from them in other places as well. So, And, of course, JavaScript Jam wouldn't mind the follow too. So thank you all so much, and let's continue. Who else has a hot take? I would just add real quick that I, I have no doubt that Astro and Quick are going to have the fast, the best time to first bite. No question about it. So if that's if that's your metric, then you should stick with one of those two. Depends on what you want your first bite to have in it. Go ahead, Theo. Sorry. Depends on what you want your first bite to have in it. The fastest time to first bite is always going to be something on a CDN. I was about to say, like once you start involving a CDN and caching then TTFB is almost a function of your geography and not the framework. Oh, that's a really excellent, excellent point. Like something like Elastic Cache or something cache like uh, Edgy. It doesn't Edgyo do caching? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You can literally just put a cache header on your response in Vercel and you're done. <laughs> Programmatic invalidation is pretty hard to beat. Awesome. Well, um, Rathor, Mr. Rathor, is, uh, I don't know. Yeah, hey guys, uh, can you hear me? Yeah, how do you pronounce your first name? Uh, just call me Suvi. <laughs> Suvi, all right. Yeah. yeah, guys, I was really enjoying the, the, the valuable insights from you guys, but I want to highlight that uh, most of the websites which we made in Astro or React Server Components, I think the benefit lies if you're making a, a static content in there or uh, stuff like that, because if you do an RSC and if you add a client component, which is heavy interactive, I think we are going to load a lot of JavaScript and that will create a problem of hydration. Even in Astro, like if you create an island and if you opt in JavaScript, then again, it will become heavier. I think we have one more bigger problem. It, I want to address that. It's hydration. And it, at the minute you're going to make an interactive websites, the hydration going to be a problem. Like it doesn't matter. You use React Server Components, Astro, Swellkit. So I think we, we should address this concept of uh, the concept which is bring by quick, which is resumability. I, and I've been following it for quite a time and it's really mind blowing. Like uh, I want to, I want to ask like, what do you guys think about it? Bro, you just like summarized a tweet era a while ago in such a great way. I said, Astro is for sites, quick is for apps. As like a reference to the spelt is for sites, react is for apps thing. I think that like what you said is exactly what I was trying to get across with that. Yeah, yeah, like what, what, what I feel here is that uh, I think uh, I've been following Misko a lot. And if you see that over a period of time, like... He's our guest next week. Next week, guys, I'll answer Jam. Misko will be yeah. here. Yeah, <laughs> I, would, I would love to ask him this question. I, I think I already agree, but I want to know the other people's views on it. Because 
I think resumeability is one of the best concepts I've ever uh, read about. And I don't think people are a lot talking about it. People are a lot talking about signals and stuff like that. And I, I'm pretty a uh, good fan of signals. But I think over a period of time, it will be like default in every framework. But implementing resumability is one hell of a task. Like you literally have to make a framework from scratch again to make resumability work. Like it's not that easy to implement in a framework which are there from like, I don't know, like from last five years or something. I, I think that resumability is a great concept, but the idea that hydration is fundamentally a problem is is not true. So it's it's good marketing to like shit on hydration because everyone's using it and a lot of apps are very slow but hydration is not fundamentally a problem it's contextually a problem if you're doing a lot of javascript loading things might get slow but that doesn't you mean that hydration app needs to be split into like a thousand pieces like it's a cool it's a cool technique and it will make apps faster but it doesn't mean that every other hydration i'd be curious Ellery, because I know you have lots of thoughts on hydration. Is hydration fundamentally a problem? And we, we lost you there for a second, Dan. No. Am I back? We got most we got most of it. You're back, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. like solid start and svelte kit. Like svelte kit is fast. Like you, you, you can't come up to me and say like svelte kit is slow, you have to use quick unless you actually have a slow svelte kit site that you can't refactor. It's definitely fast. I agree with Dan 100%. Yeah, um, somebody made a comment about he characterized it as dwelling. If you're if you're dwelling in in the app for a long period of time, you want fast client side transitions, and that's going to be, you know, the benefit of hydration. And um, what was the other thing I was going to say? I just mainly wanted to agree uh, agree with Dan. Oh, and also I wanted to agree with you two times. Uh, SvelteKit, I used that for a reporting tool which is like the ultimate like um, client side app. And it was like the slickest thing I've ever seen. I've ever touched in my entire life. It was like had DuckDB, which is like SQLite, but for analytics uh, as the cache layer to do reporting after you pull a bunch of data down. And then the actual dashboard itself was a um, Svelte app. And it was just like, it was, it was radical. It was, it was revolutionary. It was, it was just amazing. Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll chime in here. I heard someone say my name earlier. Um, I am not a big fan of hydration. I also think that the VDOM is overhead. Uh, I really like what Quick is doing. One of the things that I really dislike about you know frameworks like Next and Nuxt is you know TTI is always going to be slow. Like forget you know TBT and TTFB. Right, the moment that I see a paint, I want to be able to interact with the site. If I'm having to go load some chunks or for the app to spin up, hydrate things that were already painted as part of SSR but aren't really interactive yet, it leads to just a really poor user experience. So I'm on board for any framework that can solve that in a way that isn't onerous to develop on. Uh, I will <laughs> I will jump ship immediately. I just want to add uh, to Elry's El uh, statement. Uh, I was on this podcast with Dan Shapir. I think he's like a perf uh, master. He said that the core web vitals does not even include TTI yet. So the minute you're going to include a TTI in it, all the website will fall really bad. Like that's one reason Google is not making that change now because FID is only taking care. Like if you click on a button, it doesn't mean like 
it's actually doing a job what that button's supposed to do. It's just clickable. And TTI is something like when you click on a button, it should literally do something functional. And the minute TTI will come in whole web vitals, many of the websites which have a great score is gonna drop really badly. Yeah, core of vitals leaves all sorts of important things out. Yeah, great call out though. Great call out though. If you wanna check that out, you can go to JavaScript GM. And uh, that was last week with Dan Shapiro. Yeah. Yeah, and I wanted to respond to uh, Rathor's point earlier, or uh, his question about why, like, you're talking about signals so much. I think if you're if you're someone interested in resumability and like eliminating hydration as much as possible, I think signals is still a very interesting uh, thing that you should look at, because uh, what signals enables is that once you have the reactive graph of how data updates changes the uh, uh, UI. A possibility there is that you only ship that reactive graph to the client instead of the whole, instead of entire components. I believe Quick is working on something like this. Uh, Dominic Ganaway is also working on something like this. I, uh, put, um, I put one of his tweets talking about it in the replies. Um, but basically think of it like this. If you have a component that has like five divs and uh, you're using a signal to uh, show some text inside one of those divs. What will happen is that when the bundle that you send to the client won't have any of those divs at all, the only thing it will have is some code that finds, that's, uh, finds the div that it has to update in the DOM and only update the text that's inside it. Like you don't have to ship your components at all. The only thing you have to ship is the specific thing inside the DOM that you're updating and what's, uh, what signals or what reactive values uh, is that a DOM node listening to? That's all. And I think, uh, again, if you're uh, interested in like getting rid of bundle and uh, uh, resumability, eliminating hydration, I think signals is still a very exciting thing that you should be looking more forward to. Yeah, I, I totally agree, Dave. Like uh, what I mean by that is that I feel signal should be always there. Like, I think it should be, there is no point that you re-render re the entire component just to update a heading there. Like, I feel like it should be always be there, but uh, somehow we are seeing it a lot now, like thanks to Ryan to highlight this problem. And I feel like every framework has it in some way except React, but what I read that React is working on something called React Forget, it's a React compiler. And after that, you literally don't have to specify like a 10 dependencies and that uh, like manage all that yourself. So I, what I mean is that the signals will be default like in a year or two or some way in every framework. I think it will be there. Uh, so I, I no way that want to minimize the capabilities of signal. I just felt like they should be by default every in every framework. Yeah, clearly you're in a heavy disagreement with the React core team there. <laughs> like most of us, actually. I mean, it's been super cool to see the React core team like really double down on their rendering approach with all the signal stuff going on. Um, but yeah, props to them for like standing their ground, I guess, at the expense of people who, I don't know, there's no expense, there's no downside. You can just go use another... Well, standing their ground is much easier than rewriting the entire framework, so... Yeah, I mean, Preact didn't rewrite the entire framework, but Preact is a lot, a lot simpler than React. I, I recently read, uh, saw this video from Jack Harrington. Uh, she, he, he said that, like, 
somebody made this library called Jotai Signals. So you can actually use Jotai Atoms with Jotai Signals. Like you literally can use. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, like I, I think there are already five libraries out there who are using Signals in React, but I think it doesn't work with React concurrent mode. So you have to uh, be aware of that. Reminds me when people were trying to write like tailwind in JS or something or it was like <laughs> they they just started to shove everything into everything and it became completely ridiculous. I think if signals is not actually in your framework trying to hack a state management thing that's doing something equivalent into a version of signals is probably a bad idea. Yeah signals is like a diet version of RxJS. Um, there's a actual Redux observable which uses rxjs so it and combines it combines the uh time travel debugging and the developer tool tooling of redux with the uh with the uh the observable um framework of uh rxjs um but that's version compatibility is old it's, it's, it's based on it's not being updated by zach zach's not keeping it up to date so it's like not compatible with the latest and greatest with the, with the immer and um rtk and rtk query and stuff like that so it's like somebody you see, gotta jump in there and like uh beef it up so maybe i'll try that yeah i'm not sure if you want to open that uh, signals versus rxjs stream can of worms hey and, and angular you yeah. can use them together mm -hmm. And I'm super impressed that Angular managed to convince a bunch of people to, to to use RxJS. Like I've been teaching Signals for like a year or two, and and it's hard enough for some people. So teaching people RxJS and getting them to actually use it in their apps, like props to you, Angular community. I don't think they convinced anyone. I think they just did it, and then people are like, I guess this is how we write Angular. Yeah, well, it's not exactly how they write Angular. There's two ways to write Angular. One is the uh, zone which has nothing to do with that and the other is uh, observable so yeah the zone blows the whole thing away every time you get an update and the observable is like fine grain you know update like basically signal it's promise plus plus i thought zone was used behind the scenes as the change detection algorithm whether or not you no. use stream no 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 i mean technically yeah it's a use behind the scenes like you don't interact directly with any zone js apis all you do is like change a variable and the framework automatically detects that change and re-renders your ui so like it's zone js doing it most of like some most of the times you know that it's zone js doing it but you're not interacting with you're not importing a function from zone js and then using that yeah well i'm not an angular uh, genius here but uh Basically, there's way you have to you have to feed the observable. It's sort of like a, a fetter where you have to feed it, and the way it depends on the the way you're feeding the data in, it determines how it's rendered. Um, like the way it's going, the way the, the the data, the way you route the data through. If you if it if you do it without, if you do it without, the zone will update. If you do it with, then observable will update. So that's just it's just there's it's a bifurcated. You can ask anybody who knows Angular. That's how it works. Okay, it's not. It's not. It's it's either or. It's not both. And so signals is a uh, is kind of like a a way to get straight. You can skip the zone, which is bad UX. But I mean, it might be okay DX, but it's bad UX. Uh, <clears throat> you skip that and just go straight to observables. But on the happy path of starting out with. Uh, Signal, which is like, like I said, it's it's a, it's it's the light version of RxJS, so it's easier to start. 
Oh, I read this statement somewhere. Like people say that people use RxJS in Angular because they have to. Like they don't have any choice. And uh, half of the time, it's not yeah. true. It's not. True. Yes, it's not true. Like I, 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 what I mean, like before signals also, like people have a choice. Like I think some are native RxJS, right? If you're making HTTP call, they are uh, streams by default. And if you want to modify it, you have to do a pipe operator, and you should know about them, right? It's a yeah. It's a good method. It's a great methodology. Yeah, but you don't have to use RxJS with uh, Angular. Yeah, and I wouldn't necessarily say that. Uh, I mean, uh, e either positions is not like it's being a little unfair. Like uh, to say that RxJS is the only way to do it is a little unfair, but also to say that it's an either or. You can use e you can use whatever you want. Because it was kind uh, of like the the Redux to React, right? Like you didn't need it, but so many people used of, it. Yeah, you kind of thought it came along with it. Yeah, but the much bigger problem was the the two way data binding that makes things like uh, kind of unexpected. It makes it really hard to track what's being changed when, and uh, that that's mostly why like a lot of people just skip ZoneJS and go to RxJS, and uh, so so that basically they have that one way data binding, which is similar to what we have in react but with a much different api so like if you want like more maintainable uh, applications where uh, it's you can like clearly see what the data flow looks like then you would pretty much have to use rxjs because if you just rely on angular's built-in change de detection it's going to get unmaintainable and messy which it did for a lot of people that's the entire reason we have signals is because uh, so like the built-in change detection is terrible for like any any sort of scalability. Awesome, we managed to sneak in an Angular discussion somehow. Um, Scott, you want to close this out? <clears throat> Absolutely. Thank you all so much for joining us today. As I said before, if you didn't hear me, now you're hearing me again. We do this every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Man, this was a great conversation and a great panel of folks that came up here and joined us. Uh, really appreciate everybody who did contribute. And those also, we really appreciate you just listening in the audience. So, uh, man, and next time, if you are here with us and you do feel like, you know, coming up to say something, yeah, do it. Yeah, just request. Come on up. We love to hear from you, whether you're a beginner, whether you've been doing this for a long time, it doesn't matter. We want to hear from you. In fact, it just drives so much more value through everything we do. So, And if you did get value from somebody that was up here or is up here currently, please feel free to click on their face and or their donut, whatever it is there, Anthony, <laughs> and go ahead and follow them. Cause loopy donut. Loopy donut, yep. Because you will get them. 7040. <laughs> you will get value from them in other places, I, I promise. Uh, and not just that, hey, you know what? Give JavaScript Jam a follow too. So you know when we go uh, live every Wednesday, you'll see us pop up on your Twitter uh, account there. And next week, we got Mishko talking about Quick. Mishko, hey. And he did join us last week. So by the way, like I said, if you want to check that out, I pinned it uh, in here as well under the comments when we jump off. Um, you can listen to last week as well with Jan Shapir. Um, 
and Mishko joined us there too. So that's going to be, that's a good one too. Uh, great conversation, man. Every week has been really good here the last several. So I'm just really excited for the future of things and moving forward. Uh, we've got some really, really cool things coming up with uh, some events that we're collaborating on. Um, so I'm so excited and I'm sure we'll probably see several of y'all at those events. Um, we'll be releasing names and what we'll be doing there soon. Uh, just hold on to your seats. It's going to be fun one. Good ride for these next several months. Uh, Anthony and I and JavaScript GM at Geo doing these events together. So, all right. Thank y'all so much. Greatly appreciate it. And we'll see you in the next one. And by the way, the next one, yeah, the next one, by the way, newsletter, you're not on it yet. You need to, uh, you're missing out because JavaScript GM.com yeah, JavaScript GM.com go there. Subscribe. All right, y'all love you. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> All right, y'all. We'll see you next time.